0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm Mike Wong, your host, and I'm really excited because we get to do some math on the show in today's Think segment, which will be followed, as always, by my feel and question. But before we begin, please make sure you've watched Star Trek Discovery's latest episode, Season 4, Episode 5, titled The Examples, because I am not shying away from spoilers today, especially when there are physics equations to be discussed. So let's get started. Think. So in the episode The Examples, Commander Stamets teams up with the irascible scientist Ruan Tarka to build a miniature model of the Dark Matter Anomaly, or DMA, aboard Discovery, so that they can try to understand the nature of this exotic phenomenon. Now, before I go any further, I just want to mention that I found Tarka to be absolutely insufferable. Someone I am so glad I do not have to work with in my scientific life. I mean, this guy ordered a plate of mashed potatoes and a pea to explain to Stamets, as if Stamets were some kind of eensy-weensy toddler, how the DMA works. Now look, I'm all for creative analogies and lab demonstrations featuring everyday objects, but (laughs) mashed potatoes? Really? How was that even relevant? Anyway. So, Tarka and Stamets construct this highly dangerous experiment in main engineering, making a miniature DMA with the help of Jet Reno. By the way, love that she's back. More Tignataro, please. And under the supervision of a very cautious, as always, Captain Saru. Suffice it to say, the experiment failed. Reno was unable to give them enough energy to successfully complete the miniature DMA experiment, which seemed to require much more power than even Tarka had anticipated. And Zaru had to shut down the experiment before the containment fuel failed and the discovery was destroyed. Stamets and Tarka came this close to killing everyone on the ship. At the end of the episode, Tarka visits Cleveland Booker at the ship's bar, and he describes his day in the lab like this. Almost well, was the story of my day, too. I came this close to something incredible. I constructed a model of the DMA controller at a scale of 3.22 times 10 to the negative 17th. And this entire ship couldn't provide enough juice to keep it stable, which means the actual device has an energy source equivalent to a hypergiant star. Unfathomable power. And here is where our fun begins. You know, one thing that I desperately miss from the heyday of 90s Trek is all of the Trek nonfiction that was produced associated with all of those shows. Especially the technical manuals for TNG and DS9, which were chock-full of stats. Made-up stats, of course, but stats nonetheless of the ships that we loved to watch on screen. But because we don't have a tech manual for Discovery, we're not actually sure about a lot of the ship's specs. So... Let's try to use what Tarka provided us in this scene to back out some of those numbers. In particular, the Discovery's maximum energy output. So Tarka deduced that the actual DMA had at least the power of a hypergiant star. First of all, what's a hypergiant star? Hypergiants are basically the most luminous kind of star out there. Colossal in mass, outweighing our own sun by 25 times or more. They are extremely short-lived, burning through their fuel in a matter of a few million years. Compare that to the 10 billion years or so that our sun is supposed to shine. And thus, these hypergiants shine brightly with luminosities reaching a million times that of our sun. So the sun's luminosity is about 4 times 10 to the 26 watts, where a watt is a unit of power, or joules per second, energy per unit time. So a hypergiant will output a million times that, so that's roughly 4 times 10 to the 32 watts. Now let's make the somewhat naive assumption that the power associated with the anomaly scales linearly with size. That means that if we multiply the power of a hypergiant star by the scale factor 3.22 times 10 to the minus 17, we should get the total power that Tarka and Stamets tried to pour into their experiment. So that number winds up being a little bit over 10 to the power 16 watts, or about 10,000 terawatts. If we then assume that this experiment took a significant fraction of Discovery's total power at the time—and to be conservative, let's just say it took 10% of Disco's total power—then Discovery is capable of outputting around 100,000 terawatts total. 100,000 terawatts—is that a lot or a little? Today on planet Earth, the sum total of humanity runs on about 20 terawatts. So, if our calculation is to be believed, DISCO can power about 5,000 modern industrial civilizations. Not too shabby at all. Now, let's check our reasoning a different way. Starfleet vessels are powered by antimatter whose reactions produce energy concordant with Einstein's famous equation E equals mc squared, where c is the speed of light. So by setting our power, 100,000 terawatts, equal to mc squared, we are able to find the amount of antimatter that must be consumed per unit time in order to power the ship. And remarkably, that turns out to be About one kilogram of matter-antimatter combustion every second. Kind of a cool factoid, huh? Now, I don't know the total mass of the USS Discovery, but I know it's a pretty hefty ship. So let's give it the same mass as a galaxy-class vessel. Five million metric tons, or five times ten to the nine kilograms. If just 1% of that mass were devoted to antimatter storage, you can divide that mass of the ship's fuel by the fuel required to power the ship. Remember, one kilogram of matter-antimatter combustion per second. To arrive at the total time that the ship can spend cruising around space without refueling. And the answer that you get is on the order of a few years. And that totally makes sense, right? Because vessels go on five-year missions. (laughs) Oh man, I just love this. So let's recap so far. Basically, we used the fact that the Discovery couldn't power a miniature DMA, whose astrophysical cousin requires the power of a hypergiant star, to figure out how much power the Discovery runs on. 100,000 terawatts. Then we checked that that total power output makes sense by using it to solve for the amount of antimatter per time that the Discovery needs to burn in order to produce that power output, and arrived at the timescale of refueling the ship on the order of years. Okay, if you have hung on till now, you are doing great. Next, Let's turn to why this experiment failed. So once again, Tarka said that the experiment measured 3.22 times 10 to the minus 17 of the scale of the actual DMA, which Stamets reported had a diameter of 5 light years in a previous episode. Now a light year is just a little bit shy of 10 to the power 16 meters in length. And I don't know that number off the top of my head, but I easily got it by remembering that light travels at a speed of 3 times 10 to the 8 meters per second, and that there are 3 times 10 to the 7 seconds in a year. Those are two very handy numbers that are burned into my brain. So, multiplying five light years, the size of the DMA in space, by that scale factor 3.22 times 10 to the minus 17, and converting that length into meters gives us the size of the experiment. It's got a diameter of 1.5 meters, or a radius of about three quarters of a meter. And if you think back to the episode, that size seems to perfectly fit what we see on the screen. Now, let's approximate the DMA as a black hole, because honestly, that's just what it looks like. Knowing a black hole's size, you can easily find its mass by using what is called the Schwarzschild radius equation. This equation calculates the size of a black hole's event horizon by setting the escape velocity from the black hole equal to the speed of light. Now, I'll skip the fancy physics derivation, but let me share with you the final equation. I promise, it's not scary at all. It's just a smidgen more complex than E equals mc squared. The Schwarzschild radius equation says that the radius of a black hole is simply two times Newton's gravitational constant, times the mass of the black hole, divided by the speed of light squared. That's it! So basically, because a gravitational well's escape velocity depends on the mass of that central object, rearranging the Schwarzschild radius equation lets us solve for the mass of a black hole. So if we do this for the miniature DMA, with a radius of about three-quarters of a meter, we get a mass of about 85 Earth masses. Yikes. (laughs) For reference, Saturn clocks in at about 95 times the mass of the Earth. So at 85 Earth masses, you're talking about packing almost the mass of Saturn into main engineering and erecting a containment field that keeps everyone and everything from falling in to that super intense gravitational well. So here's where things get tough. No matter what angle you take, whether you're trying to solve how you can artificially create the warping of space-time associated with a Saturn mass black hole, or whether you try to solve for the power it would take to keep everything in that room from falling into the miniature DMA, You need orders of magnitude more power than discovery can generate, according to our earlier estimate of its power output being 100,000 terawatts. So no wonder this thing failed. No wonder Reno had trouble juicing the experiment for long. No wonder Saru had to shut it all down. This miniature DMA experiment would have needed to be microscopic. If they'd have any hope of maintaining such an artificial structure for long. Feel. At the end of a long day in main engineering, Stamets returns to his quarters and shares this tender moment with his husband, Dr. Kolber. How was your day? Oh, uh, crazy. We learned a lot. Although, not as much as we could have. And, um, Tarka is a genius. No question. But, um, he scares me, too. He is so single-minded about his work, he cares about literally nothing else. Hmm. Actually feels a little familiar. How are you feeling? Fine. That was an avoiding fine, not a real fine. Your eyes are the tell. Really? You look down every time. Kovach told me I'm wearing myself out. He's right. Said I'm using work as a crutch. And that I need to take a break. Maybe that's why I fell in love with you. We have the same pathology <laughs> making you either a total narcissist or a glutton for punishment little column a little column b i really resonated with this notion of falling into your work like your job was a black hole and there was no fancy containment field to stop you during the pandemic i've spent long swaths of time living alone in my own little apartment and i've found myself working many evenings and weekends, not because I have this burning desire to do science 24-7, but because, like, what else is there to do? From the terror of uncertainty to grieving for the dead to relearning how to connect with one another to the inordinate suffering of incarcerated individuals during a disaster to the burnout that we feel when work from home accidentally transitions into work all the time. It's really impressive how this season of Discovery is exploring the themes of the COVID-19 pandemic without actually being about a pandemic. I relate to Stamets in this scene not because my research could potentially save billions of lives, And I relate to Kolber, too, not because his dying and coming back to life is something that I've experienced. But I relate to these two individuals, nonetheless, simply because I could really use a break. Yet at the same time, I can't seem to stop working. Watching this week's Discovery episode didn't solve anything for me, but it did make me acknowledge what is going on. And maybe, just maybe, that acknowledgement can be a little seed of change. Question. Back to the DMA now. My question for this week is how will the crew of the Discovery solve the mystery of the DMA? They seem to be running out of options. They tried flying into the thing. That didn't work. They tried consulting with the Navarre Science Council. That was particularly unfruitful. Then they tried to make a model to study it, but that nearly ended the lives of everyone on the ship. I personally wonder if the spore drive will be part of the answer. Back in season two, then Ensign Tilly hypothesized that Stamets might be able to link up to the spore drive via a dark matter interface. That notion has stuck with me to this day. But it's probably not the only reasonable hypothesis out there. If you have a brilliant suggestion for how the crew should go about tackling the problem of the DMA, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at MikeY, M-I-Q-U-A-I. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And with that, we're done for this week. As always, please stay safe, try to take care of one another if you can, and enjoy the next episode of Star Trek Discovery. Till then, see you out.